Welcome to episode 11. In this last episode, Hogg and Council tell John a crazy tale, then finally finish the story about the battle between the giant frog and the huge snake. Then the three buddies break camp and start their journeys home. A week later, John receives a phone call late one evening. In once time, you'll meet John Spellman. Hey, you jokers, how about a real story? Something real that happened to real people. John's friend, Council Register. Yep, yep, you got that right. It was $49.28. Started at 616, ended at 49.28. And Route Hog. Yeah, I walked up to the horse, knocked on a woman, and a door came out. I just told Hogg and Council that they ought to tell stories together. And they said, well, we do, sort of. And Council says, well, I'll start. You know, Smellman, I used to hang around in these woods here a lot when I was a teenager. Had me a girlfriend. Lived out here by the creek pool. Gal named Sally. Big gal. Everybody called her Sal. Sal and Hunton were the two main loves of my life at the time. And once time, <laughs> my dad said to me, he says, Hey, son, let's go larrapin, rarapin, terrapin, hunt foxin. Go round up the dogs. So I went to round up the dogs. I called them. I says, Here, Shep. Here, Trey. Here, Bruce. Here, Homer. Here, Caesar. Here, Blue. Here, Rosie. Here, Nero. Here, Pinder, here, Hans, here, Bugle, here, Buck, here, Zip. Oh, come on, Zip. And I got all those dogs rounded up. Well, all but old Shorty, and I didn't round him up either. And then Paul says, hey, son, we can't go hunting. You haven't finished your chores. You need to mow the garbage, carry the grass out of the house. So I did. I, I mowed the garbage, carried the grass, and mowing garbage, you know how long that takes, so that by the time I was done, all the dogs were not rounded up anymore. Well, all but old Shorty, and we didn't round him up either. So I says, well, the heck with Hunt Fox, and I'd, I'd rather go visit my Sal gal. And she lived way out the tough of the creek, and the further you, you went that way, the tougher it got. So I told Pa, I says, hey, Pa, I'd rather ride the horse over there if he cared, and he asked me he didn't care. So here's what I did. I went out to the barnyard, threw the reins up over the barn, led the fence up beside the gate, the horse got on me, and away we rode. Uh, your turn, Hog. Right. Rod Hog picked it up. Right. I uh, rode down that, that long, straight, straight road. Yeah, that long, straight road. You know the one that meanders around all over the place there? Until I passed a little house made out of porn corn and pangled with shin cakes had never noticed it before. Got off the house, walked up to the horse, knocked on the woman, and a door come out. Well, hello there, young fella, she says. Could I offer you a piece of milk or perhaps a glass of cake? Thanks, no, I said. I, I don't care for some. I just had any. But I'll tell you a joke. So I did. I told her a joke, and she cried. And I told her another one, and she wept. 
until all of a sudden a great big bark came tearing out of the house and dogged at me and I had to leave. Rode fast down through the valley. You know that valley that sits up on the edge of the hill there? And in the woods were all these roast pigs running around. Pigs had knives and forks stuck in their backs and apples in their mouths, and, and they kept squealing, eat me, eat me, eat me. <laughs> Scared my stallion so bad that she stumbled and threw me right over her head and tail, face foremost, flat on my back in the middle of the creek, up on a big pile of dirt. Bruised my sleeve right here, tore one shirt right out of my pants. But I saw that I was in my wrong mind and only a little bit dry, so the mare rung me out, and then he led me on down the road to see my Sal Gal. Now, her house is an easy house to spot. It's a great big house right there by the quick pool, so Smellman, if you're ever down that way, you can spot it for yourself. Little old white house, painted green, Got both front doors on the back side. I got there and I saw something that just made my heart jump. Oh, it jumped. Sal's old man did like me not, and that made nervous me. But we had a lover signal, Sal and I. If her daddy was gone, she'd have both front doors nailed shut wide open. So I saw those doors shut wide open. So I says to myself, dog hot. I says, dog hot. And I tied my fence to her horse and went on in. And then council took over again. Yep, went in, threw my hat in the fireplace, spit on the bed, sat down on a big wooden stool in her daddy's armchair just as close to Sal as I could get. She's on one side of the room and I'm on the other, and we commenced to talk. Oh, we talked about everything. Love, politics, dog ticks, head ticks, facial ticks, fleas, lice. Finally, I says, oh, honey, this isn't all that romantic. Hey, baby, I says, I got an idea. Let's you and me mosey on down to the peach orchard. I'll pick some apples, and you can make us a nice warm orange pie for supper. And she asked me if she didn't care. So we did. And on the way down there, I got just as close to Sal as I could get. She was on one side of the road. I was on the other. And we got into the orchard, and I says to Sal, Hey, darling, I'll climb up that pear tree, shake down some mangoes, if you don't care. And she asked me if she didn't care. See, I didn't care that she didn't. And she didn't care that I hadn't cared that she hadn't cared that I didn't. So I did. Council now takes over again. Yes, I did. I climbed right up that walnut tree and shook and shook and shook until I shook myself right out of that tree and landed right astraddle of a barbed wire fence. Bruised myself up pretty good. But somehow Sal, Sal got me back to her place, and she uh, patched me up. And then finally, it got really romantic. She told me a sweet love story. You know that one, Rout Hog. You know, the one about the prince looking for the cesspring who could delicate enough be just for him. Remember how it starts? Time once. Uh, yes, it's right. I, I believe that, but let's not do that one. I, I, I want to finish this one. Well, okay, says counsel, okay. So, Sal's little tale of the prince and the cesspurn had put me in a real mood romantic. So soon, real Sal and I started drawing cards, one at a time, just right out of the deck to cast our love fortune. 
Sal goes first, and she draws a heart. That was for love. Routhog chimes in. Yep, then I went next and I drew a spade. Council says, yep, that was for work. That seemed so natural. Yeah, then Sal went again and she drew a diamond. That was for marriage, and that seemed so right. But then Sal's old man walked in and he drew a club. So I says, I says, okay, honey, bye-bye, go gotta, and if I don't see you anymore, the old goose gray is yours. And I ran on home by the time I got there. Paul finally had all the dogs rounded up. Well, says Rathog, all but old Shorty were rounded up, and we didn't round him up either. But then Paul said it was too late to go hunting, it had gotten dark. Council says, so what a dumb day, boy. I ended up that day I had no food, no clothes, no hunting. And then Routhog joins in and they finish together by saying, No, no girlfriend, girlfriend, half a horse, two wind-up alarm clocks, tick-tock, tick-tock, and all those, those dogs. dogs. And Council and Routhog finish the story in unison turned to each other, laughing hard and punching each other on the shoulders. Hey, you jokers, I said, hey, how about a real story? Something real that, that happened to real people. Routhog, I says, whatever happened with that frog and the snake that you and Council saw? Oh, those ones we bet on when they started to eat each other? Yeah, yeah, I said, them. Oh, right, 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 said Hog. Okay, that's real. That's a real story. We saw that. This big snake, you see, had started eating at the big frog's rear end, and the frog had started at the snake's tail, and they were both chomping away on each other. Big, noisy gulps. It was amazing. Council and I twice doubled our bet about who would eat who first, and two more groups of hikers showed up, and there were side bets. And then... Right near the end, it got so exciting that we doubled again what we'd already doubled, and we must have been close to $50 by then. I'll tell you what it was, said Council. It was $49.28. We started at six sixteen and ended at forty nine twenty eight, but it was worth it. It was so close, John. Yes, said Routhog. At the very end, there was less than an inch left of the snake, and just the frog's lips were sticking out. And then all of a sudden, they both took a big bite at exactly the same moment. And they were gone. Yep, ate each other right up. We never saw either one of them again. I knew it. I had been cornswoggled again. And this time, Routhog and Council did not even laugh. They just sat there looking at me. I sat very still and I said nothing. I had been totally tall-tailed into silence. I had not seen it coming, but I was at least sharp enough at that moment not to react to the size of their lie. All I could think to do was to stand up, walk out into the woods, and relieve myself, which I gratefully did. And when I got back, Routhog and Council were sitting on opposite sides of the fire pit, packing up to hit the trail. I put out and went down the fire. 
we talked about this and that, I guess, about trails to take home, about doing another hike together soon. But, but mostly I just kept quiet. I was embarrassed, I think. I was actually feeling glad that we wouldn't be together that night again, that, that those two jokers would not have the opportunity to short-sheet my sleeping bag or tie my bootlaces together or play some other little trick of narrative razzle-dazzle. And then we all just started walking. Routhog said, See you soon, raccoon. And he went west. Council and I walked east together for about a mile, and then he said, See you later, Smellman. I love you. And he branched off to the south. And then I made sure I hiked at least five miles away from that old Blue Spring Hotel where we had camped. I found a nice spot to sleep and crawled into my tent before it was completely dark. Got up at dawn and hiked to where I'd left my car. Drove home and was greeted by my noisy dog and my little daughter, who showed me how she could now crawl over to the sofa and hold on to it while she stood up. And a week later, in the middle of the night, long after my family and I were asleep, the phone rang in our bedroom. The phone was on my side of the bed, so I grabbed for it quickly. My wife is a slight sleeper and had already been up with our toddler who was in a crib near our bed. The dog sleeps on our bed and is easily frightened by loud noises, which will sometimes send him into frantic barking. But I was able to pick up the phone after only the second ring, and wife, dog, and baby remained asleep. Hello, I said quietly into the mouthpiece. It was counsel. Hey, big buddy, want to have a beer? Have a chat? How are you, man? Want to hear a story? He was talking at the top of his phone volume, and normally I would have pulled the phone out a foot or so from my ear, but this time I couldn't afford to. Quiet, I pleaded in a whisper. Can't you please whisper? It's past, it's almost 3 a.m. What's up? Well, we thought you might want to hear a story. A story? Now? Over the phone? Well, Rod Hog said we should call you right away. He's here with me. Hey, John, it's me, Hog. What's up? How are things at home? Hey, listen, listen. We found out somebody else died at the old Blue Spring Hotel. Something weird just happened over there. You want to hear that story? Well, yeah, yeah, sure, okay. I'm, I'm awake now, but no one else is, so please, guys. Listen, I'm going to just sit here on the edge of the bed and listen. You talk softly, and I won't say much, but but I'll be listening. Oh, good. No sense telling you a story unless you're listening. And then, in a surprisingly quiet voice, except for one or two moments when he couldn't help himself, counsel told me what had happened at the Blue Spring Hotel that place where he and Routhog and I had camped and they had frightened me into thinking that the ghost of the witch named Polly had stuck me in the heart with her finger. So, said counsel, just a while ago, 
Some young fella spent the night in that old hotel. Student in one of them already graduated but going to get more education programs over there in Shepherdstown. He was studying uh, extrasensory perception and that sort of stuff. Apparently heard about this ghost or the witch or the ghost of a witch that was living at the old, old hotel, like right out of a movie. <laughs> this guy tells people that there ain't no such thing as a ghost, and he is going to prove it. He's going to spend all night there by himself. His friends say, no, no, don't do it. But he tells them he ain't worried. And if a ghost does get him, they'll know what it was because he's going to set up all this battery-powered TV and sound equipment he's rented. So one evening, just before dark, he goes over there, finds a room on the second floor that's still in pretty good shape, and the door in the wind is still shut, and the fireplace seems to work, actually. He sets up all his equipment, lights a little fire, and turns on his kerosene lantern, lays out his bedroll on the floor and commences to eat the food he's brought. About 10 o'clock, he's getting ready to sack. He reads a bit from a book he's got with him, a book of positive thoughts, turns out his lantern and falls asleep. About midnight, he's waked up by some noises. I mean, noises. They, they seem to be coming from the ballroom down underneath his bedroom. Sounds like music playing, people talking, feet clicking and sliding across the floor, and the loud voice of a young woman. Oh, I love it. I, I'm sorry, I, I love it. And, and, and for a minute, the fellow's a bit scared, and then he figures it must be his friends down there trying to frighten him. So he bangs on the floor and he hollers, Hey, shut up down there. I'm trying to get some rest. And the noises stop. So he goes back to sleep. About an hour later, he's waked up by a new sound, much quieter and a lot scarier. It's the sound of footsteps, wet footsteps. Someone is clambering up the stairs from the ballroom. He holds his breath and listens. Someone is now in the hall and walking toward his door. Step, step, the sloppy squish of very wet feet on wooden flooring. Step, step, someone is turning the knob on his door. He picks up the book of positive thoughts and heaves it at the door. He hears a little gasp and the sound of wet footsteps moving quickly away. He wants that book back in his hand. It's the closest thing he has to a weapon. He tiptoes toward the door and listens. Nothing but the wind outside and the creaks of the old building. So he bends over, retrieves his book from the floor. And while I'm here, he thinks, I might as well peek out very slowly. He pulls the door open a crack and looks out down the hall to his left. Nothing. He cracks the door wider and sticks his head out to peer down the hall to his right. Nothing. And then he sees it. 
a puddle of water and blood on the floor right in front of his door. He shuts that door as quickly and quietly as he can and tries to lock it. No key, no lock. He sees that the fire has gone out and he tries to stir up the coals, not even a spark. He picks up his lantern, turns the flame all the way up, raises it above his head. There's a quick puff of air and the lantern goes out. Step, step. The wet footfalls move back down the hall toward his door. The young fellow backs slowly up against the wall of the room, trying to be as quiet as he can, and he stands there and listens. Again, a pause right in front of his door, and the poor stoop is frozen stiff. The doorknob turns, and a thing comes into the room. Looks like it may once have been a young woman, though most of her hair and one side of her face are gone, and her teeth are very visible on that side. She has long teeth like a dog's, and both her eyeballs are missing, but light glows dimly in the empty sockets like coals in a dying fire. A crooked grin covers the half of her face that works. The fellow tries to press himself back through the wall, whispers, Who are you? What do you want? And her grin spreads into a smile. <laughs> she raises her arms up as if to embrace him and starts shuffling across the room toward him. He can see that she has no fingers on her hands and only one thumb. And the bony end of that skeletal stump is pointed right at his heart. And when she's standing directly in front of him so close he can smell the stink of her breath, she says in a husky voice quivering with spectral lust, oh, You know, you know who I am. And you know why I'm here. I'm Polly, pretty Polly, and I'm here to dance, <laughs> to dance with you. And Council had been speaking very, very softly for several minutes before he came to those last words, and then he screamed and hog screamed. I had been sitting on the edge of our bed with my ear pressed up against the phone, so when Counselor Hogg hollered into my ear, the phone flew from my hand and I fell backwards, landing on my sleeping wife's back. She jerked awake, yelling, What? What? What is it? And the dog, asleep at her feet, let out a huge yelp of fear and tumbled off the bed. Howling, he tried to scramble out of the room, to, but his feet slid on the hardwood floor and he slammed into the crib so that the baby, awakened by the sudden jolt and by the frantic screams of her parents and the yowling panic of her canine protector, began to bawl in terror. And through it all, I could hear the sounds of raucous laughter coming from the phone where it lay on the floor. Council and Routhawk. <laughs> they must have been doubled over in glee. So, once more time, Council and Rog Routhawk 
got me, got me good, caught me really good that time. 45 minutes later, after the restoration of sanity to our bedroom as I was falling asleep, I thought, well, at least I have a few stories I can tell to other people if I can remember them and if I can figure out a good way to tell them. But I do know how those stories begin. Once time. Once Time is written and performed by John Spellman, directed by Phil Stace, and audio design by Garrett Unterreiner.